0: Revolutionaries. What's good? Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Scotch Porter, founded by my dude Gavin Qualis. Scotch Porter is the fastest-growing hair and beard care company in the country. About a year ago, my friends started telling me that my skin looked amazing and that my beard looked soft and luxurious. I told them, "This is Scotch Porter at its best." To celebrate our partnership, Scotch Porter is offering 25% off of any order, $40 or more, with the code WYR25. With over 26,000 five-star reviews, you can see their clean, non-toxic products really work. In fact, their new hydrating body wash features shea butter, marula oil, and botanicals and is perfect for all skin types and tones. This offer is exclusive only at scotchporter.com. Now go grab your grooming essentials and make sure you use the code WIR25 to save 25% off of your order, $40 or more. This offer ends March 31st, 2023 and cannot be combined. Now let's get ready for the show. What's good, revolutionaries?
1: My revolution is to shine a light on the value of marriage and to shine a light on the value of healthy relationships and helping people acknowledge that you don't have to do it by yourself. There are trained professionals that are here to assist with your growth and development. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, good brother?
0: Welcome to the What's your Revolution show. A show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corperell. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope all is well. What's good? What's good? You know, it's interesting as we think about, you know, who we are as people, who we are as individuals. For some reason in this world, we some reason in this world let me say this in this world we want to be in community with someone and i say community relationship we want to be in relation with someone uh someone that we can trust someone that we can open ourselves up to and be most vulnerable with someone that we can be romantic with someone we can be intimate with that we can be sexual with and oftentimes those relation and relationships lead to marriage and you know, as I think about marriage and we're going to have, you know, one of the most prolific licensed marriage and family therapists br- brothers, you know, on the show today to talk about, right, how do we solidify? How do we make our marriages work? How do we make our relationships work? I begin to think about, like, the marriage that I saw growing up, you know, Charles and Bertha Gorpru. For 57 years, they were married. And... You know, I think about people say to me all the time for someone who is, has been ardent about not getting married. They say to me, you saw marriage for so long. You know, why don't you want to get married? I saw marriage in its its purest form. And I say pure for those of you who are married or in relationship. You know that marriage is a is, a, is work. It is one of those things that, you know, you don't go on autopilot. It is a relationship that if you want to make it work you have to work on yourself, not only individually, but you have to come together collectively. And for fifty seven years, I, I watched two people who loved each other, who worked. Maybe we could have worked a little bit more in their marriage. But what I really saw in the latter stages of my father's life were two people who loved each other, who understood each other, who after fifty seven years said, "You know what, I love you. I know that I'm not in my I'm not in my best form right now." but I love you more than anything else because you are giving of yourself from the most freest sense. And that's what I got to see in my family, right? In the ups and downs of 57 years. But the latter stages of my father's life, he saw a woman who loved on him, who sacrificed, and in those moments, he sacrificed for her because he was able to say thank you. And I think that's part of it, isn't it, Chris, that that you think about with the gratitude that happens in relationships and uh, you're hoping that that happens. So I, I want to welcome to the show my dear friend and my dear brother, Chris A. Matthews. Chris A. Matthews. uh, As I said, is probably one of the most foremost licensed marriage and family therapists in the country. Please go out, Google this brother, see what he's got going on. Um, He's been on everybody on the Hughley show. He's been on a, a, a number of different spaces where he talks about the importance of taking care of your relationship and taking care of your marriage. Brother Chris What's going on with your brother? Look like, for the, the visually inclined as you see this. This brother is looking smooth. Got his, got look, got his the uh, um, fedora. That's what it is because you know got his fedora on, looking good. Brother Chris, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. I uh, feeling rejuvenated going into the new year. Excited about all the amazing opportunities that are coming up. Rested. <laughs> just just getting off vacation. So I'm in a great space right now.
0: That's a beautiful thing. And, and thank you for sharing that. Um, many times people come on the show and they're, they're talking about how fast paced their lives are, how fast paced uh, everything is going on. And my dear friend, Sean Dove, who I talk about so much here on the show, he talks about, you know, uh, and I'll say it like this. I emailed him. Um, usually I email my, my, uh, my kitchen cabinet, my goals for, the year and my goals for the quarter, and I don't know if you have a kitchen cabinet, um, but I emailed Sean Dove and I let him know, you know what was going on, and I got a response back. You know how you put your uh, your email when you're on vacation, your your vacation email,
1: or I'll be back. Yeah, you're, um, it, it,
0: exactly. And most people say, "Hey, I'm out of office. I'll see you when I see me. I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> I'll see you at a certain date. I may not, you know, be checking email." But Sean Dove and Sean Dove's way in the world and, and, and showing the type of leader that he is, his statement wasn't wasn't the the the, the particular statement that we usually see. It was him saying something about rest. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, rest is resistance. In, in in this work that we have to do as black men, Chris, you know that, that we are armored up so often. Uh, whether at home, uh, hopefully we can let that armor down. But when we go out to the, the work, we go out in the world, we're armored up. And oftentimes we don't rest. And he actually linked something to rest is resistance is that when we go out in the world and we're not rested, you know, and you know, as a therapist, um, when we're in stress all the time, our cortisol levels are, are different things that, uh, you know, keep us in this stressful state. We're not at our best. You know, and even our ancestors found time to say, you know what, I want to rest. I need to rest. I need to be able to lead my people, but I cannot do that unless I have rested. And that's so I want to thank Sean and thank you for letting us know what it looks like, right? Look, what it looks like. He's got a big smile on his face. What it looks like to be rested. <laughs> and when you can go back out into the world, Brother Chris, and say, I am rested, I am restored, and I am ready for the fight. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Tell the folks, or tell, tell my people what rest looks like for you. All right? Give them a little strategy, a little tidbit
1: right off the bat. How do you rest? Yeah, rest Rest looks like being. We're human beings. We're not human doers, right? Everybody's mm, constantly doing yeah. something. So to be, for me, rest looks like engaging in activities that recharge and don't take away. A lot of writing for me is rest, Mm -hmm. getting my thoughts out, not having to worry about a schedule or being at certain places at a certain time. That in itself is rest for a lot of people. When we look at our phones and our calendars and our schedules and appointments, creating space where there are no appointments outside of activities that you want to engage in. That's the biggest part of rest. And that's what it looks like to have seven to ten days out of town. And I typically will go out of town, a place that's in a different time zone, with the intentionality of knowing I can't be bothered because I'm not on the world schedule. I'm on my schedule for that moment.
0: Right, right, (laughs) right. That's true rest, a different time zone. That is is it. And hopefully, you know, you may decide to go somewhere, Cole. I love to ski, Chris. You know, I love to get out in the mountains and you know, slosh down the slopes at a a very high speed. But there's nothing, and I say this so much on this show, dear brother, there's nothing like warm water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the cleansingness of being in warm water, the safety of warm water. And I say safety, you know, there might be sharks and different things in that warm water. But, you know, oftentimes when you're close to the shore, but out further enough where you can just, you know, your body can imbibe Mm -hmm. The, the the salt and the the warmth and all those things it it, it brings the body a sense of peace and um, thank you for sharing that because I go to the Dominican Republic on a regular basis these days and and I realize Kristen and maybe you can attribute this and, and have some commentary is that when I go I make sure I go like you said for seven to ten days because it mm-hmm. takes me about three days to come down mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. when I'm not checking the phone when I'm not checking email when I'm when I'm not amped up And, uh, I travel with my boy all the time and he's like, you know, I know, I, I, I know when you are down, like you, you've come down because the, the scowl on your face is gone and there's a, (laughs) there's a joy and laughter about you and you start joking. And he's like, I know that that's when, and that's what happens. And that's, that's a part of rest. Um, you know, what is, what are, what is one or two things other than writing that provides you, you know, a, a space of rest when you're seven to ten days out of you know your particular locale.
1: I enjoy hiking. I enjoy mountain biking mm. and hiking. Being in the woods, being in nature. Some of my most memorable trips are the simple ones. My wife and I and family we went to Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> mm. um, okay, in Burlington, Vermont, and there's a, a bike trail that goes across Lake Champlain. And you can look okay. across both sides, and it's the closest you can get to riding your bike across water because it's a narrow trail. <laughs> wow. It's like 28 miles, and it's water on both sides going directly across the lake. Uh, also, rest to your point, warm water. Uh, this past summer, I was in Egypt, and we got to float in the Red Sea all day. Oh, wow. That was beautiful. The Red Sea water was perfect. is it was, it was very salty, so you just... You can easily float on top. Right, right. So those places, nature, I I really enjoy going outside. I I do a lot of biking, like I said earlier, hiking. rest for me looks like just connecting with the elements, connecting with all five senses, being able to slow down and take a deep breath and just absorb all the oxygen from from nature, being able to, to hear the sounds of birds chirping, just being able to touch the ground, just seeing and feeling yeah. all of the different elements that God has produced, and for us to be able to soak up through our senses—that's rest.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. But I, I, again, I appreciate the the openness um, because in, in my mind, like when you say this, because when I say this. Right, that i like to hike or i like to kayak or i, I want to be out in nature you know my boys say that's some that's some white folks-ish <laughs> like you know why you you know yeah. and i and in my mind i'm thinking that's just human right that we, mm-hmm. maybe we just as a collective as a you know as a collective or a mono we just haven't done those things but why does that have to be some white folks-ish because you know there's not a
1: lot of black people on a mountain bike for starters i do that <laughs> and that, that's been the story of my life they're not a lot of black men that do marriage counseling Mm, one, one of the ooh, terms that we're ooh, giving is "hit them hard," right? We're, we're giving "unicorn" is the term. I'm a I'm a member of the um, black male therapist group of CLT. I'm out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. The group was formed because black men in our city were not connecting with one another within the mental health space, and then we we come to find that that's something nationally that we we see. There's a, a need for. African-American men to go into the counseling fields and there's this uh, misconception that you can't generate money or enough financial security to provide for a family as a mental health professional, which is false. So debunking the myth that you have to be poor because you're in the helping field. That's not Mm -hmm. the case. You can provide a good living for yourself and family and still do work that that gives you the opportunity to help couples and, and, and people with their mental health.
0: Right, right, brother. That that is an amazing segue. <laughs> that is definitely an amazing segue as we as, <laughs> as we begin to delve into relationships and you know going into therapy. And uh, but let let's talk a little bit about you for a second. How did you get into this field? What, what what was the catalyst for brother Chris to say, you know what, you know, brothers ain't going to marriage and family counseling. They they, they they're not going to marriage counseling. But give us a little of the etiology of Chris and how you got into this field, and then we'll we'll, we'll move forward.
1: The field found me. It, it really found me. I was in college, undergrad at a white school, UNC Charlotte. It was predominantly white at the time. I just transferred from North Carolina ANT. So imagine okay. being a fish straight out the of the water at HBCU to, right. to now all white college in university. And I was dating my wife. We met online. <laughs> and, uh, um, mm-hmm. We fell in love very quickly. And after uh, less than 18 months of dating, I get that call and she says, Chris, I'm, I'm pregnant. And okay. in that moment, okay. I went to my university's counseling center, looked around to seek out help. There weren't people in there mm-hmm. that looked like me. So I do what a lot of black folk tend to do. I went to my church. My pastor did an amazing job praying over me. But once the prayer was over, I still had to figure out what I was going to do with this baby and, and my girlfriend that was pregnant. and. Luckily, we made it. We, we picked up all the literature we could around relationships, around parenting, and we took the bumps and bruises along the way. Luckily, we didn't do anything to each other or say anything to each other that was so harmful that it could negate the relationship future. That's what happens with a lot of young couples. We were immature. We were 19. I was 20. She was 19. So clearly wow. not having experience on your side at the time is easy to do and say things that you regret later. That was our saving grace. We we had enough sense to figure it out together. And at the time, I'd had teenage friends and young adult friends that were also having children that were black men. And they were big on this mantra of, I'm going to take care of my kids. But it was never told that they were going to take care of their family. And right. I didn't want to just be a right. father. I wanted to be a husband as well and make selection. I was fortunate enough to select a really amazing, phenomenal woman that I would have married even if we wouldn't have gotten pregnant at the time. I would have right. still made her my wife at some point.
0: So I want to double cool. click on that for one second, if you don't mind, because I, I, we, I, we we could we we could go down a, l- a lot of different roads. But right. I, I want to stop there and, and forgive me because I usually don't do that. But, no, good. but I think it's so important that we double click right there because the selection of a maid, right? We're talking about marriage, right? And and, and let us define marriage in in, in the Westernized turn. Right? Like, well, you know, um, one two people coming together mm-hmm. to say that you know, um, and whatever your religious your religious base, right? You're making a commitment to each other, Absolutely. right? Marriage, marriage in our sense, in our U.S. Westernized sense. Um, the selection of a mate, right, and, and thinking about that, I, I want you to talk about, all right, because you, you said, I would have married this woman if we if we weren't even pregnant. How do we go about, right, if, if we're thinking about that, if you're, if you're not married yet, how do you go about selecting a mate? What's the due diligence, you know, because I say that in my world all the time, that we actually have to do Right. Because if I if you're going to get married and and, and the statistics are marriage, you know, 50 percent, 50 to 60 percent, depending on how many marriages is mm-hmm. you had end in divorce. So that means that that means in my mind, Brother Chris, is that the due diligence in the beginning may not have happened. How do we select a good mate to marry?
1: Mate selection starts with first identifying what you need and what you want. And what you need and what you want are different. I needed a woman that was willing to grow with me because we met as kids. I needed a woman that was also going to have patience. And I needed a woman that also desired the same things that I wanted. Now, the wants were different because when I was dating women throughout high school, college, prior to me, my wife, they didn't look anything like my wife. I was into the cheerleader type. They were, you know, five, six, five, five, light skin, long hair. My wife Mm. is almost five, 10, dark skin, (laughs) right, like short hair. So the the needs were, in my case, thank God they were bigger than the wants. And I think that we sometimes will select someone based on what we want or we think Mm -hmm. we want but needs are things you get to grow into needs and wow. things that get to stay there beyond the infatuation period of a relationship. So I was able to select a mate on the needs, someone that was going to grow, be patient and understanding. And the biggest need is wanting someone, or excuse me, having someone that wants you. I never have to question. My wife's want for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And I'm a big, Fan of of jazz music and soul music. So Sade is one of my favorite singers. And she has a line in the song. She says, I want you, but I want you to want me too."
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you, but I want you to want me. Mm. And to your other
1: point you made, relationships are living, breathing organisms. Mm. You can find a mate, but if you don't take care of that mate, then the relationship won't last. It's similar to how you have to manage your body. Or manage your career, you can get the job, but you have to do the work to keep the job. You can reach a weight gain, or excuse me, a weight gain or weight loss goal, but you have to sustain that weight or physique. Everything in life isn't about a destination, it's really about the journey and the process. Right. And that's marriage. And marriage is a tool. The tool of marriage for me is the opportunity to share things in life with another person. That's what makes it special. I, I could travel the world, but it's different when I get to travel the world with another person. I could raise children, but it's different to raise children <laughs> with another person. I could generate right, a lot of money right. and have successful businesses, but it's different to do that with another person. And it's a, it was a desire. I, I'd wanted that for a long time. and My wife had wanted mm, that as well. Right. We were just fortunate enough to be put together at the right time. And for those that are listening you can start by simply writing a list. My father told me yeah. I'd do that real young. I was you know, eight years old and my dad told me anything you want, write it down. Write a list. So when I mm-hmm. met my wife, it wasn't me becoming part of her plan. It was a plan I already had. I'd written that list out. And someone told me and I believe that. If you don't have a plan, you just become a part of someone else's plan. Luckily enough, my wife and I both had plans to make each other their spouse and it worked out well.
0: Wow. Wow. Brother, you, you you make me think about um, this list that I have actually created. And I, you know, I, I I just pulled it back up. I haven't looked at this list actually in a long time, Chris, Um, but it's interesting. And, and thinking about that and, and, and knowing all like all of these things on all of these things on the list. and, and, And as I look at it, brother, Chris, you know, athletic traveler, spiritual but not religious stylish mm-hmm. a good mother or mother already um, you know I, I, I put attractive in my eyes career driven portable I've, I've, I'm looking at all like 16 different things right mm-hmm. so and, and I don't know how 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 long your list is but as you as you think about this and the people who say hey brother Chris just told me to write all these things down there's no way that I'm gonna get all 16 things Chris um, and how do we, how do we say, it was, you know, my, my childhood best friend and I were talking about this today. How do we know what to say, you know, this is a negotiable or, the, or this is a non-negotiable aspect of what I'm looking for or what I, what I need in my life?
1: Think about the four different seasons. And when you go outside, especially living in my region of Charlotte, we can have four seasons in one day. So you gotta have enough layers. You have to have maybe a jacket. You start with a sweatshirt, t-shirt, all the way down to the tank top. Because we can go from thirty to eighty degrees in one day. I give you that metaphor because that's how the list needs to be. Think of Mm. characteristics on that list that allow you to transfer the relationship through different seasons of life. With my wife, patience was number one on the list because I can transfer that quality through all the seasons of my life, especially when you look at marriage to wow. someone that's going to be there until death do you part. The the biggest initial factor on my list, and, and it's going to be hard for a lot of people that are older. Luckily I found my wife young enough to where this was a factor on the list that could still exist. She had not been hurt by a man before. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to worry about cleansing away the sins of another man that it came in and broke her heart, cheated on her, disrespected her, abused her or neglected her. That made my journey a lot easier because from day one, All I right. started out with an A and, you know, in school, the teacher will say everyone starts with an A based on the assignments you do. You keep that A or lose that A. I never lost my eight, so mm. seventeen years and counting, I've kept my score based on the actions that I've put in each each day and moment with my wife.
0: Wow, wow, brother Chris, you talk about that—that—that that, that is an interesting thing because you know when um, and I, and I say this like this: when you can come into a relationship with a blank slate, you're a tabla, tabla rasa, as they say, uh, you know, a, a blank slate. But many of us don't, many of us don't come into a relationship with a blank slate. We've, we've have pain, we Mm -hmm. have hurt, we have childhood trauma, trauma, the good brother, Dr. Brian Turner was on the show. um, And and we spent at length talking about how do we overcome childhood trauma or different things to allow us to show up better in relationships. It is fortunate. it, It is a fortunate thing, you know, particularly in youth when you may not have had to deal with when you have to. Unearth, right? Uh, Unearthed trauma individually and then collectively in a couple. Um, or, or you're having to deal with you know, being re traumatized by a former spouse or former uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or former lover. That is an interesting thing that you don't have to worry about that. And that she can see if you, and particularly if you're doing the work as you're, you're doing, Chris, as you continue, like you're growing in your wants and needs together. You can show up together, grow together, and you can leave, hopefully leave the trauma that you may have had in the past. So I, I, I love that. Like you said, you know, I came in with an A and you're doing the work to make sure that you, you know, you continue to have an A, it, but you and your work. And I think this is this, this were you going to say something? Yeah, there's,
1: there's, a, there's an educational component that I left out. Mm-hmm. I,
0: talk
1: Go about, ahead. I talk about this in my book. I talk about this, in a lot of workshops. My wife and I, we got in our first fight like most couples do. The first fight is really the turning point on how the relationship can go moving forward. My wife hung up on me. I was being what I thought was funny, but it was disrespectful. She hung up on me. And I I, I looked at the phone, I looked at the phone's all those hangups. I know you didn't just hang up. On, you look at the phone I know you and didn't. I had a choice to make. I could have gotten into the game mode of I'm not going to call you back. Mm. Or I could have called her back and she could have hung up and then we could have gone back and forth. We eliminated power struggles from the beginning. So I call her back. She doesn't say anything. I hear her breathing on the phone. And I simply told her in a deep voice, I said, hey, look, I'm going to mess up. I've messed up as a Mm. brother. I've messed up as a a, a son. I've messed up as an employee. I'm going to mess up as a dating partner. I promise you I'm going to mess up. However, let's respect each other. If I say something you don't like and you have to go, I won't hold you hostage. Let's just not hang up on each other. Mm-hmm. I'll give you space, and we'll reconvene. But give me an opportunity to learn how to make it right because this is a yeah. foundation that we're building, and we got to dig deep. And I shared this with my wife at nineteen. I was actually eighteen at the time. Excuse me. And wow, you said that.
0: I said that's, me, a, that's a level of emotional intelligence that many of us don't have at eighteen. Yes, 90.
1: and she she said to my she said to me, okay. She never hung up on me since then. And we always know moving forward from that moment, our styles, she needs space to regroup. I need an opportunity yeah. to fix it. I have an anxious attachment style.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So as an anxious, wow.
1: as a person of anxious attachment style, I need her to let me know. I will have an opportunity at some point to correct the error. Yeah. She gave me that confidence and comfort to know I was going to have an opportunity to reconcile. That's all I needed. I then in that moment educated her on the fact that I wasn't going to disrespect her by continuing to badger her and step into that space that she needed to to recollect herself. That conversation was the turning point in our relationship because we learned from day one, how to handle conflict. And a lot of the data and research shows couples who learn how to handle conflict. It's not if you fight. If a couple comes into therapy and they say, we've never fought, that is a bad sign. It's how you fight. It's not if you fight, it's how you fight. In counseling, I don't help couples not fight. I help couples handle and mitigate conflict the right way. We call it second order change. You have first order change, which looks like treating the symptomology. Second order change looks like treating the entire system. So couples come back in and say, "Well, Chris, we're still fighting. Okay, but we're not cussing each other out. How are you
0: fighting? We're not
1: slamming doors anymore. Great. That means that you're changing how you do it. You change the approach. You're changing your process, and that's what makes marriage and family therapists unique because we're you're systemic based clinicians that help couples and individuals and organizations change their system. Because if we can teach you how to fish," That you don't have to rely on us for fish as a counselor. Yeah, yeah,
0: brother, brother, you're speaking the truth. There are a couple of things that I want to pull pull back on and open up for one second because you 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 hit home when you said you know uh, about an anxious attachment and you know for for the uninitiated and anxious you know I'm gonna let you define it. All right, talk about what an anxious an anxious attachment is and what it lo- what it may look like so people understand before I double click on it for a second.
1: I, I'll use just kind of layman's terms. If you are a person that allows your mind to go off to the races, so your partner gets upset with you and then you start to think, oh my gosh, we're going to break up. Oh my gosh, I got to fix it now. Oh man, I, I, they're going to leave me. It's this ongoing repertoire of thoughts that just take over your mind and mm-hmm. you're just constantly pursuing. So you have a distancer and a pursuer usually in a relationship. So that pursuer yes. that doesn't have the ability to fall back for a second, regroup, reconnect, typically is the one with the anxious attachment style.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Thank, thank yeah. you for that from, from my folks. because I have an anxious attachment <laughs> to the, um, as well. And so, uh, you know, and, we could spend a, an entire show about anxious attachment and, and what it does in relationship, how it shows up all, oh, how it shows up regularly and frequently. And like you said, we tell stories, we, we tell stories that typically may not be true. Mm-hmm. Um, the anxiety will allow us, you know, we go into a, a, a flight or flight uh, response and creating a story like, Oh, so now I have to protect myself. And for me, brother, Chris, like when in an argument, even in a relationship, I want to resolve that argument as quickly as possible mm-hmm. um, to get rid of the anxiety the, in my uh, anxiety around, oh, we're in chaos and you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. That's the fear. We're in, we're in chaos. Um, and what am I doing? Like, oh, my God, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? What's what's going on? So. Let's rectify this as quickly as possible, so we'll, I can feel better. Because I don't like the way anxiety for us, if you know, is 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 not only a, a mental response; it is a physical response. Our body is 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 thinking there's threat, and so our body responds to that. And so that is the interesting thing. But what happens when you're in partnership now, and your partner says to you, "Well, I need some time to deal with what just happened," and you're like, "Oh shit! Like what?" <laughs> Are you going to leave me? Are you going to leave me? Are you going to leave me? Um, And so it's interesting that I have to say early on in relationships is that, hey, there's a vulnerability that I need to say. I have an anxious attachment disorder. I want to be with you. If we're in chaos, at least acknowledge that you understand that, hey, I might be in chaos and conflict right now. I'm trying to figure this out. I respect that. I need some time to deal with what just happened. I'm not leaving you. You need a safety plan. And- (laughs) Yeah, yeah, e-
1: exactly. Thank you for thank you for but codifying you, that. You and your partner have to come up at the beginning, a space to create a safety plan on how to respond.
0: Right, 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 mm-hmm. exactly.
1: And that's what counseling for couples couples counseling helps you do. <laughs> I tell people you get the couples counseling in the initial phase of the relationship it's, it's better than later on. Unfortunately, John Gottman talks about how. Couples usually will go to counseling six to seven years too late. They've been in chaos or conflict for six to seven years before getting into counseling. I'm a firm believer we need pre-engagement counseling, not pre-marital counseling. Before a couple decides to propose, that's when they need to go to counseling, before that process even takes place. I've had couples come into counseling during the initial courtship phase. And this was actually a very powerful case. Couple, they were um in counseling. They both had been married prior. And they came back into counseling with each other this time. They had done counseling prior with their with their ex-spouses. But this time they were just dating for less than six weeks. And they wanted to do couples counseling before they were intimate. The reason why is they felt like and they were they were right. Once you become intimate you now have the different um, you know, neurotransmitters that are presented in the brain, and at that point, you're really not thinking. You're
0: in the wash. Here. You you're in the mix. You're, you're in you in that that, that 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 neurotransmitter wash, brother. Right. It does a lot.
1: Absolutely. So they got the counseling, and they they end up departing ways, but they were so thankful because what what it came down to was they just wanted different things in life. Their life trajectories right. were different. And they weren't able to initially see that because of the fact that they had such good conversation in chemistry. Mm-hmm. But conversation in right. chemistry doesn't always lead to a good relationship if you have different directions in life. He wanted to travel. She wanted to stay local because she had two children. Imagine if mm-hmm. they would have gone through the process of becoming intimate. And most people don't know how to dissolve relationships. We don't we, think about that for a second. People don't know how to leave jobs correctly. People don't we don't know how to say no. We don't know how to turn someone away. Instead, we just let it burn and crash. And that was, you know, something I see a lot in counseling. People come in because they don't know how to just say, this feels good. This is great. But I know it won't have a history to it or it won't last. So let's just break it off now.
0: Chris, there's there's so much of that. And I think at the ground floor, if we look at it, is that I don't think that we're taught how to truly communicate one. And I'm going to say that period, full stop. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think that we're, we were taught how to communicate, how to end things right productively to say, Hey, this is not working for me or Hey, I'm not in love anymore or, or Hey, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And my hypothesis is that we have normalized ghosting that has become a, a, a product of our society, particularly with the ability or the onset of online dating, um, the ability, you know, for you to say, you know, over a text message or even not that just to stop, you know, communicating with someone. We have normalized that that behavior is actually okay because people continually do it time and time. I hear so many people. I mean, I, I had a lunch with a, a good friend who's in her 60s and who, who's dating again, and she's talking about ghosting, right? And, I, and I'm like, people in their 60s do that? She was like, yes. Like, what is that, you know? And so I'm I'm, I'm not asking you to give me a, a, a diatribe on it, dear brother. But I, I think what I hear from you is our ability to figure out what this good communication look like when things go awry and when things are going well in a
1: relationship absolutely when things don't go right in a relationship and it's time to dissolve or in the relationship we think that we're going to hurt the person yeah so we're so yeah. for we're so fascinated how we feel that we forget about how they feel my wife and i mm-hmm. we were dating we, we set up a lot of safety parameters in play because I do have an anxious, anxious attachment style. One of the things I told her, I said, I'll love you enough to break up with you before I ever cheat on you. And I asked for you to do mm-hmm. the same. That that was so powerful because I would rather get my heart broke by my wife leaving me without deceiving me. Hmm. The same with a dating relationship. I'd rather a person say, and those that are listening, instead of ghosting someone, say, you know what? This doesn't feel like a good fit anymore. And I care about you enough to say this out loud than to ghost you. Right. That Just say that. Right. But instead, people are salesmen and women. So the person will say, give me another chance. And and we're really being, in a sense, lazy Instead of standing our ground, we feel like we can ghost a person because then if you are there and they want to continue to pursue, you have to be assertive enough to say, hey, look, I completely understand. But right now, you're now crossing the line. I've I've made my peace with you. Right. Mm -hmm. So ghosting doesn't have to look like just eradicating a person ghosting might be something you need to do after you've established your boundary right right they don't have to continue to pursue the individual but that person on the other end wondering what happened that's a torture that that's it's psychological warfare like yeah why would you make someone go through that torture because it's not easy for you the person that's leaving <laughs> right so so we make it hard on another individual that we're leaving from yeah yeah we, right, yeah, right it,
0: exactly yeah. And look look I, I'm not one to say to sit on this show and to say that I haven't ghosted somebody so revolutionaries look you know the, there's a lot of work that Dr Charles Corporate does mm-hmm. right and I'm not and, and I'm not perfect um but I also but I also now think clearly about if something doesn't work what do what is my responsibility? in this right hold, hold that
1: question you said what's your responsibility right mm-hmm. so think about it not just from relationships for intimate partners think about it from business I, I was at a business conference and there was a gentleman that's highly respected and he went to another person and he said um, hey I want to do business with you great someone else came and attempted to do business with this person and he ignored the individual and And I asked from before I said well why did you do business with that person and you ignored the other person well, I like that guy, so I want to do business with him. Well, what did you not like about the other guy? Well, he was too pushy. He didn't have the professionalism that I liked, so I didn't want to do business with him. Well, why didn't you tell him that? Well, that's not my responsibility to tell him that. Well, how do we as black folk help other black folk? Because you didn't have to do business mm-hmm. with him, but you could have still given him that lesson. And if he, were to see, if he received it or not, that's on him.
0: That's their response, yeah.
1: That's that's their responsibility. So, so someone who supervises other clinicians, I'm in a position all day, every day where I have to give feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And I I get feedback because I care about the person. So I think when you truly cared about somebody to ghost them without feedback, it eradicates your, your true desire that you initially had when you were caring about them. It it, it, it cancels that out at that point, right? Right. So let's tell about I each totally other agree. to give each other that feedback. Even if the person doesn't mm-hmm. receive it, that's on them if they don't receive it. But let's be true right. to who we are is, is if we say we're gonna be helpful people and promote black culture, let's let's be about that then. Let's really give let's, people feedback and if they receive it, that's on them. If they choose to not, um you don't feel no harm no foul. But let's at least attempt to give it.
0: Yeah, brother, I love that. Um it is interesting because, you know, out, out here in these streets, Dr. Corp is out, out here in these streets and you know exactly what I mean when I'm out here in these streets dating mm-hmm. and um, met someone and, you know, my, my life is, my life can get really, really busy at times, uh, you know, running several businesses, um, the podcast, diff- different aspects of my life. So I, I can't always return calls. And I also have to work to say, if I say I'm going to call you, I need to say, I'm going to call you, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm going to call you. And if I can't, I need to acknowledge that. And um, I told someone that I was going to call them and I ended up not calling them um, for about a day and a half because I got, got so busy and I got a text message and the text message was like, Hey, one, you said you were going to call. You didn't, uh, one. So that was, that was the check Two, are you still interested? Um, and if not, could you give me some feedback on why you're not interested? And I was, I, I when I read the message, I was like, I was, it was profound Mm -hmm. because this person was asking, right? One, like, Hey, haven't heard from you want to know, you know, what's good, but then asking for feedback. And on on one side of it, you could be like, Oh, that's needy. And I didn't look at it that way. Brother Chris, I didn't look at it. I looked at it as, as, as a very emotionally intelligent way to say, you know, if there was something amiss, could you let me know? Because I, and basically was like, could you let me know? Because I'm out here in this dating world. I'm out here in these streets, just like you. Mm-hmm. And I want to find a partner. I want to find someone to love and to give love. And basically, was there something that I said that turned you off? Is there was something that happened or is it my lifestyle? All, all the different things, Brother Chris. And I was like, wow, this is probably one of the most thoughtful and mostly intelligent messages that I've actually really received. And so, you know, I, I text back to her, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. Um, I've just been busy. I've just been, you know, I've just been really busy and that's on me and my responsibility to communicate that to you. Um, so I apologize for that, but I also mentioned, I was like, I love the emotional intelligence that came with that text message that you were willing and open and more because it, mm-hmm. I, it in my mind, brother Chris, it takes a level of vulnerability to ask for feedback, and I'm going to even I'm even go deeper. I think it takes a level of vulnerability that many men many men don't have to ask for feedback. Absolutely, in a dating situation, because and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm hypothesizing that there's a shame that men may feel. By asking for feedback, particularly if somebody ghosted them or they're not getting the level of communication, because we have, you know, I, I've seen. Well, men shouldn't do this because they don't. You shouldn't. You don't want to be perceived as needy. You'll be rejected if a woman perceives you a, in a cisgender heterosexual relationship. If they perceive you as needy, women don't want needy men. They want to be chased, you know. But they want to be chased. But they want to be. They want you to be aloof. All of the different games. So my hypothesis is that men won't ask for feedback. Because there's a, 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 a level of shame that they may be perceived as needy. And, and so you have a cadre of men out here performing the same behaviors time and time again, never getting the feedback, never asking for the feedback. Well, why did you stop communicating with me? Because you, you may not get that feedback, but at least asking for it. Absolutely. You know, do you, so I, I'm wondering how you feel about that sentiment, those, the, the, that, that the hypothesis.
1: You, you get what you attract. So I I feel about Mm -hmm. your hypothesis, because what you're describing is a lot of men may desire not to be vulnerable, not share or request feedback because that makes them look needy. You mentioned earlier the emotional intelligence that comes from a person requesting feedback. You get what you attract. When I was dating my wife, I attracted a sensitive woman. I attracted someone who didn't know how to play the games. She was oblivious to the games. It didn't even exist for her. <laughs> if they were to exist for her, I would have said that out front. I think as men, if we don't want to give feedback, then that's a, that's, that's really an indication of how comfortable we are within ourselves. Right. So imagine if you were dating or you are dating. So imagine you're on a date with a woman. You say to this woman, hey, look, I just want to be very clear to you. I'll mean what I'll say and I'll say what I'll mean. I know from history there have been some relationships I've had where there are little games played, power shift. I don't want to do that. Let's, let's make a pact right now. We're going to mean what we say and, and say what we mean. We're not going to do the games. If I'm upset with you or if I'm feeling some kind of way, I'm going to let you know. And right. how do you, this is this is what we need to do as men, ask the questions. How do you receive feedback the best? How do you hear validation, gratification? What do you need to know and feel that I care about you? As our relationship progresses, what does needy look like for you? What does not enough attention look like for you? My wife mm-hmm. and I. I told my wife from in the first week I'm a toucher. I keep my hands on my wife. Other women might have said, "You know what, Chris? That's clingy. I'm not into that." Thank you for telling me because now I know that's not going to be a good fit.
0: Yeah. So yeah. we need
1: we need the feedback to know if it's not a good fit. She wasn't asking you feedback to change. She was she was asking you feedback to assess if you were going to be someone she needed to continue to pursue or not. If you tell her something that you didn't like, which induces who she is as a person or makes up who she is as a woman, then for her, that's a great sign of, okay, great. I don't continue to pursue you anymore.
0: Right. But feedback helps us
1: not waste time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you're you <laughs> brother you brother there, there are some people that come on my show and i and, and i just look at them like yeah this is a masterclass right here in thinking about that and you're right and when we ask for feedback because think about what you said earlier on brother chris right the relationship that you and your wife had early on like you knew you knew you know 18 months later you're married you knew that that this is the person, r- regardless of pregnancy status or not, this is the person that I want to be with. And 17 years later, you're still together. You're still working. And, and that's the interesting thing. Feedback, regardless of relationships, re- you know, feedback is what allows us to grow. Yes. As individuals. And in a, a loving, romantic relationship, we consistent feedback is, in, in my hypothesis, because I the longest relationship I've had, was I've had two seven-year relationships, um, and, and would love to be able to now learn, you know, take everything that I've learned outside of those relationships to put it back in now, but it, it is consistently saying and asking for feedback. Am I loving you right? Right. Am I showing up for you? Well, am I giving you what you need in these moments? And oftentimes, sometimes giving you what you need is to just leave you alone. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I am am really open now is about my introversion, and I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that for a long time. I've always, you know, been this loud, boisterous person. I wanted to be around people, and one of my friends, Natalie Burke, CEO of Common Health Action, said one. Day, she's like, "You're an introvert." And I was like, "No, no, I'm not." And then I began to really do an assessment. You know, you know, psychologist like do an assessment. I, I, I realized that after so long of being the the, the loudest person at the party i'm drained i'm done i want to go to the the quietest darkest place and so i realized that, the is that and so now funny. that i yeah.
1: the say again so my wife's an introvert and when we go out in the social settings i finally understood introverts it's not that you don't like people it just takes a different level of energy out of you
0: yes you have to recharge yes.
1: versus extroverts are charged by energy of the people. Introverts, it just it comes out of them. And it comes out of that, yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to get to a point you made earlier. You mentioned about the percentages of what you look for and what you don't look for in, in, right. in the dating phase. A, a lot of uh, researchers and in, in, um, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He's a very popular um, um, neuroscience. Uh, author out but um oh peterson jordan peterson one of the yes, that he talks yes. about he says that there's a 70 30 he's like 70% of what you find is is what you stand on 30% you learn not to to fret about or you manage the 30%. So
0: right my, my mm-hmm. wife
1: for example she she's one to not be on time. Okay? That's part of 30% <laughs> I learn how to manage. Okay? The 70% encompasses all of the other good things. So we're constantly working to manage the 30 percent, but those 70 percent pieces of being faithful, patient, you know, a partner uh, never denies my touch. That is huge for me. Physical contact is a big love language for me. She never denies that unless I'm really messed up. When I really messed up, she's like don't touch me, and I know it's bad. I'm like, ooh, I really know it's bad if I can't touch you. Um, So I I bring this out because that's how you determine what is needed for that relationship. And only you can determine your 70. A lot of men and women that I work with in counseling, they'll break their own rules. A rule for a woman may be infidelity. I can't take it. If you cheat, I'm not going to be with you. Well, that's a rule for my wife and I. And we use the analogy. Our marriage is like Two trapeze artists with no net underneath. If I or mm. her were to cheat, there's not gonna be any counseling. There's not gonna be reconciliation. Right. We we knew that going into the relationship what it was. So you have to create rules for yourself, introduce those rules to your partner, and then abide by those rules. Right. We tend to bend right. the rule thinking that the person's gonna change or not no, that, not that at way. All. It doesn't work. The foundational period of the relationship. Is huge. When you think about all buildings, the larger the building, the deeper the foundation. So the first five years of marriage, I tell couples, you're building a foundation. When they come into my office, a lot of couples are like, oh, my gosh, we're having fights and it's only year one. Yes, this is the time you want to do that. You want to have fights. You want to go through the reconstruction phase at the beginning, because once you get everything cemented at that point, you know what you're standing on. So right. you know anybody listening is young in marriage or dating, don't shy away from conflict at the beginning. Allow that to be a, a measuring tool for where the relationship goes in addition to vulnerability. You mentioned earlier about the games that people play relationships and especially men. We feel like if we give too much, then we're soft or weak. Allow right. it to be tit for tat. If mm-hmm. you're with a partner on a date and she provides a little bit of vulnerability, you provide a little bit. It needs you to be provide. tit for tat. That's a good gauge for how you progress in the relationship. If your partner that you're on a date with doesn't say anything that's open or allowing them to be exposed in any capacity, then that's a red flag for you. That's mm-hmm. a red flag that they may not be ready for a relationship. And there has to be even kill pieces, right? I'm not telling you to go in and lay everything out on the table. But it needs to be a back and forth process,
0: right? Vomit and moderation, as a correct, the, correct, uh, as a It has a to be bits and pieces, right? Right. Um, I, this time has flown by. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> this, this time has flown by. I want to. I, I just want to spend a, a couple more moments with you, Chris, because you know we've talked about relationships, and you said people go to license, people go to marriage and family counseling. Six to seven years too late. Why do people go to marriage and family counseling and what can it do for a relationship?
1: People go to marriage and family counseling the same way we hire any professional to help us out with an issue. We're not qualified to do ourselves. Mm. The same way you hire a plumber because you may not be a plumber to work on pipes the same way you hire an electrician the same way you go to a chiropractor to adjust your back that's the same thing with marriage and family therapy if you have not developed the skills and tools to manage a healthy relationship whether it be not having good examples of your own not having good parent examples a partner that may need a little bit of assistance navigating, integrating into your life and vice versa, that's a big reason to go to counseling. If you can't get over something naturally, meaning if we wake up and we have a little back pain, a day or two it goes away, we're fine. But when the chiropractor comes in, it's usually because that pain has lasted for more than one or two days. Mm, The same with counseling. So couples will be in agony and pain for six to seven years. If you find that it's not going away... (laughs) Get counseling immediately. Go
0: get counseling. You
1: can also do it from a preparatory lens. Before we play sports, as children, I have a teenager. Every year he has to go a sports physical. So he goes to the doctor every year to get his checkup and he goes and gets a sports physical. Why do we do sports physicals before there's an injury? Because prevention. You can yeah. save a marriage at the beginning through counseling before there are even any issues. So use yeah. counseling before there are issues and, and they use counseling as soon as you experience any signs and symptoms of an issue. Those are the two ways to use it.
0: I love it. I, I, I love that. And, and you think about that. You know, when you get when you get your health insurance, what does it say? You know, your your wellness checkup every year is usually that that is free. They want you look right. They want you to come in to do all of the the, the diagnostic work, to, to the wellness plan earlier, because if you do that you prevent disease down the road. Absolutely. You know what's going on. And you think about that because you know we're trying to push more men into going into make sure that their uh, uh, their medical health, their physical health as well. So the preventative thing. But thinking about relationships. So think about relationships. One, you have to do the individual work. So go and do the individual counseling. Like if you're seeking a relationship, Go and do the individual counseling on yourself, so that you are you are prepared to receive a relationship when it comes. And, and particularly if you're like us who are anxious, you know, who have an anxious attachment. How do you work through? How do you communicate that? How do you set up? Like you said, I love that. Like the the, the phrase of this, this 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 podcast has been setting up a safety plan, being vulnerable vulnerable enough to say, "This is how I am." How do we set up a safety plan that allows us to both, uh show up in the best versions of ourselves even in the midst of chaos Absolutely. and then two moving into this preventative space where we can then be counseled together to bring the stuff that has happened to us individually into so we can then hopefully excoriate it right in a sense that we understand and that we can work together well so i i love that chris talk to me talk to me and talk to yeah. us about like when we people come to counseling in trauma like when they come to counseling in chaos how do they get out of that right you know you know as boys and men said you've come to the end of the road but this this is the the place you've never been how can counseling actually bring
1: you back from the brink the counseling process doesn't bring you back It brings you through.
0: Mm, Okay. When you go through
1: something, you come out of it different than when you went into it. When you're in a state of chaos, especially in a relationship, we're so adamant about flailing our arms to swim to the edge of the pool or to get out of the water. We don't slow down enough to understand what the water can teach us. The counseling Mm. helps you identify what led you into the process and what you need to get out of it, but more importantly, what you can learn while you're in it? A lot of people that dissolve a relationship or marriage just take the same baggage into a new relationship or marriage.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's about who you become, not what you're encountering, mm. even with anxiety revolt, and mental revolt health
0: and evolve, right? revolt. And evolve yeah. exactly.
1: Slowing down and identifying what is it that this is trying to teach me? How am I growing from it? That's the biggest that's the biggest piece. Focusing on the journey and the process, not always the end destination or the alleviation of the symptoms or signs. They're, they're there right. for a reason. What are they there for?
0: Yeah. And Chris. Sometimes you have to walk away from a relationship. Absolutely. Sometimes the the some sometimes the counseling will unearth that this is your time. You 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 know, there's an expiration date on this, and that's not that's not a bad thing as well. Like you you, you maybe six or seven years too late. You're trying, but maybe it like it unearths that you're not each other's people anymore.
1: But that may not even be your choice, though. I tell I tell couples that like work with infidelity, it's usually a female partner, they'll be in tears and they'll say, Well, Chris, if I if I take my husband back or if I go back to the relationship, um, what does that say about my esteem or who I am as a person? Didn't say anything about your esteem or who you are as a person. That wasn't your choice. That person chose mm-hmm. to cheat on you, which then led them to not be with you. So if you take them back and they break that boundary again, or breach that boundary again, that's their choice. They chose right. to leave you by cheating on you. You just am are now the reinforcer of that. So I bring that to your attention because if a person is domestically abusive or physically abusive, they're choosing to not be in that relationship with you. You just have to wake up and realize that. In other words, right. it's never our fault or it's never us leaving a bad situation. It's acknowledging that it's a bad situation and that person no longer deserves the right to be in our presence anymore. Yeah. Yeah, And I I like the reframe on that because we sometimes look at counseling as, Oh, I'm breaking someone up. No, you're just choosing to now have a boundary in play or Mm -hmm. a level of respect for yourself that no longer supports that relationship anymore. Yeah. The same way that the umbilical cord falls off a newborn, the newborn didn't make that how it fell off. It grew off. Right, so let's right. grow off. Let's grow out of relationships. We're not to end them. You grew out of it. It doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. That's my favorite line. Is it a good fit? If, if it
0: doesn't you fit, fit, you must quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, I love it. Let's use yeah. it. If it doesn't it, fit, it. You, you, must've must've quit. you must quit. If it doesn't fit, you must quit. <laughs> yeah. You know, relationships are tough. Um, marriage, you know, committed companionship, whatever you, what, whatever suits you to fit you. You know, relationships relationships can bring you the the greatest joy of your life. Um they can also bring you some of the greatest pain in your life. But in the midst of the but in 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 the in between is when you have to do the work. And you know, the ability to find great people like yourself, you know, that look like you and me that have the ability to, you know, provide the, the provide a purview that we may not see pr- to, to to illuminate the blind spots that are just not there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, when I say just not there, the, the, illuminate the blind spots that are there, um, is a beautiful thing. And I think that we all need to think about individual therapy as well as when you're coupled mm-hmm. to, to to have a to have another voice that is not a parent or a friend or a pastor. You know. But someone who can see and peer into your relationship and say, hey, these are some of the holes and I can help you
1: through. And and that's that's the segue. I know that your show what's your revolution. Mm -hmm. And my revolution. Is to shine a light on the value of marriage and to shine a light on the value of healthy relationships and. Helping people acknowledge that you don't have to do it by yourself. Yes, there are trained professionals that are here to assist with your growth and development. The same way you hire a coach, a strategist, all of the different health professionals that are in business to help a person become their best self. Same with therapy. So debunking the stigmas behind this sense of weakness and reattaching strength and detaching weakness from therapy. Going to counseling is a sign of strength not weakness right it means you're strong enough right. to acknowledge that people are out here to help you and you're wise enough to find that help before it's too late
0: before it's too late yeah brother that's it that's it right there you know the revolution the revolution is helping people you know have the best relationship the best marriages that they can have, Absolutely. you know, you know, as we say on this show all the time, if your goal is to have a successful relationship, you will need midwives to help you pull that out.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. I like that. Chris
0: Matthews. Yeah. yeah, Chris Matthews is that midwife that we may need. So I want to make sure if you're in the Charlotte area and my good friend, Dr. Elijah Beatty is there. My good friend, Laura Williams has a, a, a wonderful mm-hmm. gym studio one-on-one there. Um, my wonderful friend, uh, Kimberly Turner, lives in Charlotte. So a, a number of folks, if you are in Charlotte and, you know, you're looking for support. And, and Chris, I'm sure you probably also now with Zoom and different things, you might it's, be able to counsel all, all, all over the world. Yeah,
1: all over the world. I tell, I tell folks that, so counseling is regulated through, um, you know, licensing, but relationship help is is global. We just call it coaching yeah. if you're not in Charlotte or North Carolina. I got If you're in you. North Carolina, <laughs> it's counseling. If you're out of North Carolina, it's coaching. Same, is same got so, sure. <laughs>
0: so folks, please go out and check, go to, I want to make sure that I have the, 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 the correct website. Uh, I've got it pulled up. Go to Chris If you want to get in touch with this brother, you can see some wonderful videos of him doing and talking about his prolific work and what he's doing. Like I said, this brother has been all over social media and on various, uh, various, uh, uh, Poli- not political shows, but various uh, shows with some of the biggest names uh, we have in our country. So, brother, I'm just just happy to have have met you. At, you know, give a give a shout out to our folks at uh, Black Minute Cell. So many brothers from Black Minute Cell have been on yeah. this show to tell what their revolution is. And I think you know, as we think about being revolutionary in our relationships, having the support, having the the care, uh, having the vulnerability to say, "I need help," uh, "I want to be loved." You know, I, and and I want to give love. So let's not make this, you know, I want to love and I want to give love. And through it all, how do I do that? And sometimes we may not have the tools to do it, Chris. And we need we need people like you to continue to help us build out our toolkits if we're if we're saying that, to build the toolkits, to give us the tools. Sometimes, you know, we've been hammered look we've been hammering away, right? Right. The hammer wasn't what we needed. We needed a wrench. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We definitely need a wrench. Revolutionary, as you know, as we go through this time, I always want you to be answering what we think here is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's revolution? You are revolutionary in your life. You are revolutionary for someone. You are revolutionary for your community. Keep fighting. Keep moving. Keep doing. Keep being the best version of yourself. I love you. I love you. I love you. Shout out to my folks, Sarah and Seiko, who make this show go. Shout out to you, my revolutionaries, who tune in every time this show comes out and supporting everything that we do. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. Peace, 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 peace. peace, 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 peace. What's good, revolutionaries? Once again, we want to thank our sponsor for the show, Scotch Porter. Please remember that you can save 25% off of any order, $40 or more through March 31st, 2023. Spring is coming and it's time to revolutionize your hair and skin. You know that we love you and we're here with you. We'll see you soon. Peace.
1: So when the census data was pulled, 31% at the time, Black men were married. A lot of factors play into that because... African American men, women in general, families—we don't have a lot of good examples of marriage. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of the, the, the disclaimers around marriage are: well, if my parents weren't happy, and that led to divorce, then why am I going to go down that same path? The media doesn't make it look good. <laughs> Co- cohabitation rates are on the rise. It's, it, you know, so it's, it's the cohabitation rates are very high right now. Uh, A lot of people are marrying outside of their race. That's another thing that's happening. That's a big trend. It's it's just a lot, man, just studying the field of marriage. I have to be up up to date on the data, and I immerse myself in a lot of reading and trainings, and I just love the topic of marriage.
0: There was a sister named Keshawna Palmer on the show early in the year, and her her show kind of took off because... She kind of kind of called uh, like dating at forty, like you know from a woman's perspective and, and what that meant. And then I've had a couple of uh, a couple of other therapists on, a couple of brothers on to talk about like dating and individual relationships. But I haven't had anybody on to talk about marriage. And a lot of my listeners are married. Um, and so there's a you know I'm not married, and um, and marriage is not in my. Uh, Marriage is not in my future from, you know, my word is, is um, committed companionship. That, 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 those are my two words. Um, but a lot of my listeners are married and they want to, you know, they want to hear from people who are married and how to how to be resourceful, how to how to make their marriages work. And that's why I was like this. You know, I've listened to a, a number of things that you've done, you talked about, and particularly from the like, uh, I want to say that your niche is around the, the financial aspect as well. What's good, revolutionaries?